Rabbi, I just want you to know that during the show, I really hope that you are wearing a mask. Um, you know, uh, I have many masks okay. that we have at home. I got three kids and I think we, we, we're a family of five. And I think I have um, something like uh, 1700 masks that I have at home. Do you, do you what, what's your, what's your like most aesthetically pleasing mask? So I do have to say, and this is a shout out to anyone who does listen to our podcast. And, and, and I apologize for not remembering the, um, um, just very sincere and and uh, just amazing woman who made these masks. I don't know if you got one as well. Um, it must have been about seven, eight weeks ago. I get a package in the mail from um, uh, from a woman in our community, uh, the wider community, who had said that she is sending and making these masks all to uh, clergy and to leaders of the community to best protect ourselves. Um, and I was actually blown away. It was a very nice cloth mask. She put in filters. Um, so I've been using that. My kids really like it. Um, uh, but but the fact that somebody else whom I've never met before in my life has no connection to Judaism um, thought enough of herself and the community to send me, uh, you know, a rabbi, uh, a mask for when I'm in the community and uh, uh, to, to protect myself. But that it was uh, it, it, it really showed what community and the wider community uh, is really all about to, to really aid, to help the stranger, you know, in our midst. Um, it. But that's that's my mask to go. All right, that's black. Your mask. It's got it's got yeah. some birds on it. Super nice. All right, my man. You know we've heard a lot about you should wear masks, you should wash your hands, you should stay six feet away. We have probably been in endless meetings about when, how do we reopen? What's the best way to reopen? And we're pulling from CDC websites. We're pulling from the WHO. We're pulling from all these different places. Uh, let's get a straight up medical professional, not only a medical professional, but a person who is the director of patient safety and quality for not Joe Blow's medical house, but for, for a place, you know, it's just called Cleveland Clinic, kind of well-known. Um, let, let's get Dr. Dayton on here today, man, because I'm ready to ask some, some, some straight up questions, be like fact or fiction, you know? Do we Go ahead. Know, right? So, so I am ready to have, so far on this podcast today, Dr. Dane, we are so excited to have you on this podcast about this show. And uh, thank you for, for, for being here. Are you ready to talk with the priest and the rabbi? Absolutely. We're ready. Fire All away. right. So ladies and gentlemen, Buckle your seatbelts. Dr. Dayton is here. We're going straight science with a lot of love and compassion. If this is your first time tuning in, please share this pod. It does help us. Even if you don't like us and you're right in the comments, the rabbi and the priest are total losers. That actually helps us. It helps our analytics. So please comment and share with your friends um, and enjoy. So we'll see you on the other side of this. Let's get ready for Dr. Dayton on this episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the program hosts and their guests and are not necessarily those of WSTU, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and Temple Bait Chaim. Products that may be mentioned are not necessarily intended as an endorsement. Any reproduction or retransmission of this broadcast is strictly prohibited. And now, WSTU presents a priest and a rabbi. Call in with questions and comments at 220-9788-220-WSTU. Now, here's your host. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Father Christian Anderson from St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart, Florida. I am here with one of my best good friends here in Stewart, Florida. Oh, my gosh. It's the best-looking rabbi this side of the Jordan River. 
How are you, Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam? It is good to see you, my brother. It's good to see you. I mean, I don't really see you right now. I, I hear you and I Zoom you. I hear you as well. The Zoom, the, so may the Zoom be with you and also with you. Absolutely. And how are you, my friend? Um, I have become more quite aware, you know, here's the thing with the whole Zoom culture is that you constantly see your face throughout the whole day. So I'm constantly reminded of how I've aged like 20 years in the last five weeks because of the sleep deprivation. And my gosh, you know, I mean, I'm not complaining. I, we love having a baby boy and it's amazing. So we knew that it was coming, but um, wow, man, uh, I look, I look anxious. You know, so it's it's uh, the struggle is real, my friend. The challenge is real. Well, you you have it three times over because you got three kiddos who uh, just love to party all night in, 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 in your own bed. Right. Don't they jump in with you and Rose? They do. <laughs> Not only do I contend now with three uh, with three with three daughters, I, I, uh, I I'm contending with a with a five month old uh, puppy. So uh, lots of uh, lots of sleepless nights. I didn't know you just got a puppy. Yeah, I just got a puppy uh, a couple months ago. Oh my gosh, well, that's big news, man. Yeah. Are, are, you, are you worried? At one point, uh, they were saying the dogs were carrying COVID-19. Oh uh, yeah, no, not not even remotely worried at all. <laughs> uh, you know, later on in the show, we're gonna have someone who might be able to answer that question, though I think his focus is on patients, not on um, animals. So, mm. um, uh, you know, before we get into all this, you know, there there is, we would be remiss if we don't even touch upon this topic before we go. You know, today's topic is really about getting to the science of the matter of COVID-19. There is so much that we hear from friends, from family, from uh, officials, uh, but rarely do we just get to hear from a straight up doctor. And that's that's what we got. We, we, we do have the, 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 the head of um, the director of patient safety and quality over at uh, Cleveland Clinic, Mark Health. But before we get there, I think uh, we'd be remiss if, if we didn't talk about just the, the the chaos that's happening right now in Minneapolis and how we're seeing um, the response around the country um, and uh, from from uh, it's 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 very sad and you know from from seeing George Floyd the the video from George Floyd and I think we'll talk about this next week um, but as people of faith it is something we we we. Um, we will struggle with and we will connect with. And I don't know, is that gonna affect any of your sermons today or, or what, what's your approach? Um, well, I mean, I think, I think, look, you know, given, given the situation in Minneapolis, I mean, look, not the first time that they've encountered this in the last few years. There've been many challenges with the city itself and with race relations. Does it impact what I'm gonna speak about tonight? Uh, partially, I mean, today actually is, it's a major Jewish holiday, started last night and will end tomorrow night of Shavuot when we were given God's law and we were given the Ten Commandments and we were given the Torah. So I think, I think, yeah, I mean, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, absolutely, given the fact of compassion and understanding and, uh, you know, trying to treat others as you yourself want to be treated and seeing the footage and the video and everything that was going on with George, uh, George Floyd, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's disturbing and it is, I mean, my heart went out when I saw that video and I saw the responses and just thought to myself, are, are you kidding me? This is 2020. We need to be able to treat one another with dignity and respect. And isn't the law innocent until proven guilty? So, I, I mean, I guess, I, guess I, I struggle with a lot of those 
challenges that that uh, uh, permeate itself in the Midwest and, and and obviously around the country with riots in LA and all over the country. Um, yeah, it definitely will impact what 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 I speak about tonight. But generally, uh, tonight I, I will be speaking about um, a, a, one of our three major, major, major festivals in Judaism of, of Shavuot. So here is a pitch. Tonight, you're going to go, if you're listening, you're going to go on Facebook and go over to Temple Beth Hayam and watch the live stream, right? And yep. hear our rabbi uh, preach about the law. Was it, was it was that, I mean, sure. was that an okay pitch? It was an okay pitch. It, it gets better. It does uh, get better. But they could, just, they could just go to your Facebook page, right? Yep, they, I mean, you should see the services live. Uh, it's six o'clock at uh, Temple Beit Hayam, our, our Facebook website. Um, yeah, check us out. We're going to be doing something a little bit different tomorrow night, which I think is I'm really excited about. Um, you know, given the situation we're in and the social, uh, physical distancing, uh, we have a process at the end of Shabbat uh, to welcome in the working week called Havdalah. And tomorrow night at six o'clock, we're going to do a drive-in Havdalah, which means you drive in to the temple parking lot. Uh, I will be there and we'll do Havdalah um, uh, physically, but with, with, with a lot of distance between us, almost like a drive-in movie. Come in and, 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 and celebrate, celebrate the end of Shabbat and the new working week uh, that is tomorrow night at six o'clock. So a little bit different, a little out of the box. All right, so uh, let's, let's keep on going out of the box. And we haven't, I don't, well, actually this is not too out of the box. We have had medical professionals on the show before and we've been invited onto other podcasts that um, are, are headed by medical professionals. And so since there is so much talk uh, uh, across the world, but especially here in the country, and it's become a politicized talk about, do you wear masks? Do you stay six feet? Um, is this whole thing a hoax? Um, is it just being, uh, is it all politicized? It is time for us to get to the science of the matter. And so we have been honored to be able to have and be able to pick up the phone and call someone with the expertise of Dr. Peter Dayton, who is here in Stewart, Florida. He's been in his own private practice for 35 years, but on top of that, he is the medical director of patient safety and quality for Cleveland Clinic Martin Health. And it is just a, a really a privilege to be able to have him on the show. So Dr. Dayton, welcome, welcome, welcome to a priest and a rabbi. Good morning and thank you. It is, uh, it, it's, it's good to have you here, brother. And we really enjoyed um, our pre-production phone call with you yesterday. Um, and uh, I was joking with the rabbi being like, I don't, I don't think we're gonna have enough content for, for 50 minutes to fill a show. <laughs> I think we probably will. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, you know, Dr. Dayton, all we did on our Facebook page is just post that you're going to be on here and we already have callers on hold waiting to, uh, to speak with you. But let's first, can you just give us a little introduction? I, I gave a little intro to who you are, but just, just, you know, what's, what's the background of, of who you are and the, the kind of medicine you practice and um, um, here in uh, Stewart, Florida? Sure. Um, I I'm an obstetrician gynecologist by training. I came here in 1985 and set up my practice, and I've been practicing here ever since. Um, I uh, started working in quality and safety about six years ago uh, in the Martin Memorial Health System and now the Cleveland Clinic Martin Health System. Uh, so we have been involved in patient safety and quality improvement activities here at the Cleveland Clinic, and I've always been an advocate of patient safety and always been an advocate for patient care and patient-centric care in my practice. And so it was a natural uh, progression of my career. Uh, so that's really who I am. I've got uh, a beautiful wife and three beautiful daughters and two beautiful grandchildren. And I've been living here ever since. God bless you, God bless you. 
and you are, if it's okay to say, um, you, would you say uh, uh, faith is a big part of your life? It's an enormous part of my life, and it always has been. Um, and uh, I grew up in the Episcopal tradition, and I've been attending St. Mary's for about eight years. All right, so we're putting all our cards on the table here. So, you know, Dr. Dayton and I obviously know each other from St. Mary's. <laughs> but, yes. Um, so Disclosure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full full disclosure here. So, Dr. Dayton, what, what has been the last um, 12 weeks like for just your line of work and for the community that you serve? Unprecedented is the best word I can come up with. We've been faced with a uh, pandemic of unparalleled proportions in my experience as a clinician and a physician. Uh, this has changed our entire culture. It's changed the way we interact with each other. It's changed our society. It's devastated our economy. And it has changed uh, everything in terms of how we interact with each other and how we protect ourselves. So it's been quite a challenge. I think we've had an amazing group of professionals here at the Cleveland Clinic working literally day and night, uh, advocating for the safety and, and care of patients. I'm humbled by the expertise of the people that I work with here. They are tremendously talented professionals, and everybody is doing so well at working to, to take care of these patients and to protect patients from becoming infected. And also just to uh, reassure patients that their, their hospital system is safe and, and we are here to help you and to provide care that you need in this community. And what, what do you think has been the, the, the greatest challenge so far in the work you've all been doing just, just in these last eight weeks? I think the biggest challenge for us has been to get people to understand uh, the basic epidemiology of this, of this disease process, of this virus and to change their behaviors um, so we can protect people from uh, letting this uh, pandemic spread. That's been our biggest challenge, really. We've had, initially we had issues with supplies and we had to develop some protocols to uh, reprocess supplies and things, but those all came through with the ex excellent work of our infection control people here. But in general, I think the big challenge is just to get members of our community to understand what this, what this virus is and how it threatens them and, and their fellow uh, uh, members of their community. And so the, the, you have to work hand in hand with sort of a, um, I wouldn't say a communications department, but I know that, you know, do you, do you work with the, with the health department of how they communicate this? Uh, how, how do you successfully get the message out knowing that there's so many different opinions and now that how to actually change our behavior has been, it's become more of a, either a political thing or just a, uh, it's been, it's been, you know, politicized. How do you effectively get the message out where you're not trying to take a side, you're just trying to go with the science and trying to do what's best for the community? Um, how do you as a medical professional effectively try to get that word out? Well, one of the reasons I'm here participating in your show is to just do that very thing is to help our public understand this virus isn't a Republican or Democrat. It's not Jewish or Christian or Muslim. It's an organism that's in the environment and we have to protect ourselves from it. So we have to follow the rules of infection control and epidemiology if we're going to uh, prevent other people from becoming infected and harmed by this virus. So we, we have educational processes and uh, of course the CDC has done, I think, a pretty good job at, at communicating. Um, but the, the media I've had reservations about because you get so many different viewpoints and and, and that's what they are, their viewpoints. Uh, but the science 
is something that is evolving. You know, I think the, it's very important for everybody to understand that we just learned about this virus in December of 2019. Before the middle of December 2019, we didn't even have the genetic code to know that this was a unique strain of coronavirus. Uh, so a lot has happened in a very, very short time. Um, things that normally take two, three years to develop, like testing, uh, took weeks, uh, was compressed into a, a time span of weeks. So that's been a remarkable accomplishment for uh, us to be able to get this testing and then get it cranked up to get to the levels of testing that we're able to do now. Um, we're still learning how to treat the virus. Uh, that, that, that knowledge is evolving. We have uh, excellent critical care uh, physicians at Cleveland Clinic, and they're uh, very, very uh, right on the cutting edge of uh, critical care medicine, learning and, and studying what the data shows them and, and, and caring for patients. You know, we've in Martin County, we've had about uh, 557 cases positive tests and about 74 hospitalizations. So we've had 74 people in the hospital uh, uh, so far and uh, only nine deaths, thank goodness. Uh, only nine deaths out of those uh, 74 admissions. And that tested, that's relatively low compared to the, our neighboring counties? Yes, but that, uh, you know, the death rates aren't necessarily a reflection of the of the quality of care provided, they, they're probably more a reflection of the demographics of the people that live in those communities. Uh, people with higher comorbid conditions, people, older people uh, are more susceptible to the uh, virus in terms of uh, pneumonias and complications from the infection of this virus. We know that. We know that there's differences between men and women. Women survive more than men do from this virus. So people with coronary artery disease and pneumonia and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease are at greater risk for mortality from this virus than healthier individuals. Uh, so we're learning more and more about this virus as the days and weeks go on. As more patients are being treated, we're collecting data and, and analyzing it in the, in the research papers. You know, we have two times of time. We laugh about it here. We have regular time and then we have COVID time. And COVID time is a hour is a minute. <laughs> Because right. in a minute, you've had about five papers being published, and we just don't, it's very hard to keep up with it. It's moving so fast. Yeah, so we, um, I want to be able to, we've had a caller waiting since uh, since the show started. And I want to see if he's still there, because I'm, I know that uh, there's people who are just anxious to to hear from a doctor during this time. <clears throat> yes, I'm here. Uh, so, Bob, Bob, Bob well, welcome to the show, and uh, thank you for calling in. You got a, do you have a question for uh, for Dr. Dayton? Yes, I do. Thank you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, doctor. Thank you for the very important moment in time that's going to make history. My question is, actually, it's a statement with a question. I have heard from a few different sources that the Chinese have possibly got a remedy. They are masked testing okay um i received something from a, a facebook friend the other day that says the italian government are doing autopsies and and through the autopsy have discovered what the where the that this 
virus is attacking blood blood cells and creating blood cells to completely clot, and therefore, you know, the the body's system fails. Is there any truth to these, or are these just rumors? Well, part part of your information is correct. The the the, the virus does affect the clotting system. But it doesn't just affect the clotting system. It, it is a multi-organ system uh, disease. Uh, the coronavirus really attacks the immune system first uh, and develops um, into the lungs, which develop a viral pneumonia. Uh, and patients who get this viral pneumonia have a tremendous challenge of getting enough oxygen into their bloodstream. So our first and most common challenge with coronavirus uh, patients is to make sure that they, they they come in with very, very low oxygen levels. We call it hypoxemia. And yeah. they have to be ventilated or they have to have oxygen supplementation. Yeah. Uh, what we have learned is that ventilation really, we, we do all our best to keep them off the ventilator because um, if we can keep them off the ventilator, they seem to do better. It does affect the clotting system, but it can also affect the lungs, the heart, the kidneys, um, and it's all through an inflammatory process. Okay, I understand all that. Now, our governor wants to reopen, 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 which I'm against, okay? Hey, I don't mind wearing a mask outdoors for another six months in order, you know, to prevent myself from getting it or, or anybody else. Now, my wife has got a, a, um, um, a bad immune system. So I'm real, real careful about her going out. I think um, that's wise. I think that's very wise if she's compromised uh, immune system. Um, yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, our community, you know, I, I was on um, WPTV or, or, or PBF this morning, you know, and I commented, you know, I think it's much too soon to, to reopen everything. I think the word needs to go out. Hey, what's the rush? You know, is everybody in a rush to die? You know, everybody knows that this thing is so contagious. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to adhere to what the governor says. Not for the safety of my family and friends. Thank you, Bob, so much. Uh, so, so, Dr. Dayton, you know, well, what do you think? Do you think that we're we're moving too quickly as a community, or 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 can we in a if we if we follow the rules and the guidelines, we we can definitely get back to uh, get get everything moving. It depends on what you mean by reopen. I think that's the critical issue. Um, reopening has to be done with some with some very strict infection control guidelines, and I think it's feasible to slowly and progressively start. Uh, reopening the, uh, our world, so to speak, but we have to follow some very, very basic infection control guidelines. Um, you know, Singapore and uh, Hong Kong have not had high levels of this virus uh, and not had high death tolls because they practice basic infection control as a culture. Uh, you know, if you see a, a, a picture of a train in uh, Singapore, a lot of people prior to this were wearing masks on a train because they understand uh, how to protect themselves. If we wear masks, cloth masks, and we wash our hands, and we wash our hands fastidiously and regularly when we touch surfaces, 
and we practice social distancing, we and we keep those three basic rules, I think, yes, we can start slowly and progressively uh, opening uh, things up a little bit. But at the same time, adherence to those rules is the problem. The compliance with those basic principles of infection control is really what we must do if we're going to get a control of this virus and control this thing and keep the epidemic from surging again. In, in, in your experience and, and in, in, in your own thoughts, I mean, obviously with this pandemic and everything else going on, that our world and certainly America has and is, will be forever changed. Do you think that even when the pandemic is over uh, or subsided, that, um, uh, that, that people will still protect themselves by wearing masks in public and distance themselves? And is, 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 this, is this the new reality that we're faced with? I don't think it's really the new reality uh, once we've controlled this pandemic. However, uh, the, the simple practice of hand hygiene uh, and wearing masks will dramatically decrease the risk of influenza transmissions in seasonal influenza. You know, we lose many, many more people to influenza, and we don't think much about that. But, um, you know, influenza is a very contagious virus as well. So the, the, the principles of wearing a mask uh, during an, if we have a, a bad influenza epidemic, yes, I think I would be wearing a mask if I didn't get a flu shot. Uh, you know, w- w- the good thing about influenza is that we have uh, vaccines for it. We develop an influenza vaccine every year that uh, contains the most likely strains that you would be infected with. And so we provide this herd immunity is what we call it, uh, which protects our population. So we don't have to, um, you know, have this restrictive, uh, uh, lifestyle and because we have immunity, we've developed a, a, a process to control the spread of the infection through herd immunity. Until this virus, we have an effective and safe vaccine. We need to use these other methods of infection control, which are masks and hand hygiene, uh, fastidious hand hygiene, wearing the cloth masks, and uh, use of social distancing. I do want the people to understand why are you wearing a cloth mask and not an N95 mask. I see people walking around wearing these N95 masks. And, and, and in my mind, it's a waste of an N95 mask that our people here in our hospital system could, could have used to protect themselves in the environments where they're caring for COVID patients. We wear cloth masks to keep our own secretions from laying down on surfaces. It is not protecting you from the environment. The purpose of a cloth mask is to protect the environment from you. From you, This virus is spread by a mechanism called droplets and contact transmission, which means when I speak, cough, or sneeze, there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, I'll use the term spit, and uh, moisture coming out of my mouth and throat that is and these droplets are full of viral particles. Those droplets can't, but they, they settle on the surfaces around you where you're speaking and talking or sneezing or coughing. Then someone comes along and touches that surface, rubs their eyes or scratches their nose, and then they get the virus. And that's how it spreads. So the purpose of the cloth mask is to protect the environment from you contaminating it. So that's very important for other people to understand. It's not to protect you from an infectious environment. The N95 mask is used for healthcare providers when they're in rooms with COVID positive patients doing procedures that generate aerosols from their respiratory tract. 
things like intubation or suctioning or bronchoscopy or anything where there's a, there is a manipulation of the patient's airways, which can generate this aerosol that's loaded with the viral particles. So that they could potentially breathe that in. We call it aerosol generating procedures. So um, that's where the N95 mask is appropriate. But wearing an N95 mask out in public really leads to a false sense of security, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we want to get into just the, the behavioral aspect that Dr. Dayton is talking about. Of Rabbi and I both are servant leaders of congregations and uh, instilling behaviors that we have as we begin to slightly reopen our campuses in some way or another. How... How do we introduce these behaviors and what do we do when folks are just like, do I really have to wear a mask? And trying to look at it through a faith perspective. What does it mean as a person of faith to wear to, to wear a mask? So we're going to get into a little bit of that behavioral in the second half of the show. Go to break, hear from our sponsors. Uh, we, if you're just tuning in, this is a priest and a rabbi. And we have with us Dr. Peter Dayton from Martin Memorial uh, from Cleveland Clinic, uh, Martin Health. And uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence 
um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Great article. And that was... That was- One of my favorite questions for the Wall Street Journal. All right, we're about to roll. All right, well, welcome back to a priest and a rabbi uh, here as we do our Zoom radio show, and uh, thanks for bearing with us. So we have Dr. Peter Dayton with us uh, from Cleveland Clinic, Marnelf, and um, he's been taking callers here, 772-220-9788, as we talk about the science of the matter of dealing with COVID-19. As a country, as we begin to do this process of reentry, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in recreation, uh, at store, wherever, in your houses of worship, what kind of behaviors do we need to practice now? And wow, it's just, what do we do now since so many people have different interpretations of it? So it, let's just start before we even get to a house of worship. Dr. Dayton, when you go to a grocery store, and let's say, I, when I go to the grocery store, I think I bat 500 in seeing people who have a mask on who do not. Now, I personally have a six-week-old baby at home, so I don't mess around, right? So I, if, if there is even a 0.05% chance that an issue could happen, I'm masking, I'm six feeding, it's not even a question. But for those who are not kind of worried and have that or don't live with someone with a, uh, a, a vulnerable immune system, might have a different lens to look through. So they're not wearing a mask, they're not doing six feet, they're not really worried. Uh, what goes through your head when you see that? I'm frustrated, frankly, because is anybody that you see in that grocery store less of less worth than that precious baby that you have? I don't think so. I think we're all... Uh, Every life is precious, and uh, I think that they're just not putting, uh, they're putting other people in danger by not wearing a mask, because well, they're they contaminating say, the say, environment. Does a mask really work, doctor? I mean, come on. Does it really, you know, I'm fine. I've survived this long. I mean, it's just not, it's not, I'm no one's sick around me. I'm in Martin County. What would be your response to that? I would say that you're not uh, understanding the principles of infection control, um, and it's uh, very easy to uh, think of yourself and your experience, not the fact that you can affect the experience of others. Um, you know, I think uh, from a religious standpoint, God calls us to love each other. And the most great, the most uh, important act of love for me as a physician is to protect the health and well-being of other people. And wearing a mask for me personally is an act of civic pride because I'm proud to wear a mask, because I am not going to be the cause of your illness. That's what I say to these people. You're putting other people at risk, not, and not stop worrying about yourself, but think about others. Think about the fact that God calls us to love each other, and not wearing a mask puts other people at risk by the potential of contaminating surfaces with your secretions. And, those, and we don't know that you're an asymptomatic carrier or not. So and, 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 and I think that that's that, you know, that, that in and of itself is one of the greatest challenges that I think we're faced with in today's culture is that I can sit here and go, well, you know, I'm, I'm 42 years old, I'm healthy. I, I, even if I'm asymptomatic, I, I feel great. 
you know, I, I think that the processual brain has challenges trying to discern and make sense of, but if I'm feeling okay and I'm not a problem, what is the issue? And I think so often, exactly as you said, that it's about the protection of, of, of the possibility that I may be able to infect you unknowingly and how we can best protect others in our, in our, in our county. I you know, my nine-year-old gets it. My 42-year-old mind is struggled by it, as I'm sure many are. I mean, I, I, you know, we can understand the science. We can understand the, the theory behind it. <clears throat> but I think in, 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 in practical terms, we see er this re-entry of people going in and saying, well, if I can go into TJ Maxx or I can go into Target, why can't I go into this place, that or the other, with, uh, without wearing a mask or just being as I would have been you know, 13 weeks ago. And I, and I, I think it's such a challenging issue. Um, but I think, I think the science is there. I mean, protect yourself and the fact that you have the potential to infect and, 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 and cause harm to other people. Is that the struggle though? Do you think it's a struggle because it's, it's just, because it has to, it, 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 it's, you were like, I was in a meeting yesterday in the church and we were wearing masks and it, yes, after a while it becomes annoying. Now I'm sure Dr. Dane and his staff are just like, oh, come on. They're used to wearing masks all the time, right? As a medical professional. So for the rest of us lay folk, uh, wearing a mask after a while, you know, you, 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 you struggle with it. Is it just because it's, it's an infliction upon our own personal comfort? And we're just like, no, I don't want to do this. And we, we don't, and we haven't, we're not thinking enough of our fellow sister and brother enough to be like, no, I'm going to keep this on because if there's a slight chance that I can affect them, there's no way I'll take off this mask. But I, I think don't how much of that. it too is also, is also based on the understanding if it doesn't affect me directly right now, I'm not seeing it. So therefore I'm going to ignore it. If I were to not wear a mask and I were to go into public and suddenly I get infected, well, now it's personal. I've now seen the effect that if I don't wear a mask or I don't protect myself, that other, other droplets or uh, other moisture coming in, uh, in into me uh, that I can that somebody can infect me, or uh, you know, conversely, the other way that I may infect somebody else. I think once the knowledge is there that I have done this, I think the damage is there. Well, now I see it, but because I can't see it, I think that there's maybe there's a, a, a disconnect. I don't know if I'm if, if, if I'm being clear, if I'm making sense. Well, I, uh, Dr. Dayton, is there when I've heard this discussion with folks I know around here? I think there's still maybe a mistrust or maybe they think that maybe the medical field is being too, I don't know, just, just being too much of just being a little dramatic. And, and what would be your response to someone saying, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 40 year old woman. I'm, I'm fine. I'm healthy. And I take good care of myself. And I, I just think this is a little excessive. And um, I, I think we've gotten a little carried away. And, and we'll be okay with this. And so I'm, I know I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm just, I'm just, I don't think it's really necessary. Um, what, what would be your, what would be your response to them? My response would be that I, uh, that you're not really considering the, the, the risk that you pose to other people. Um, your non-compliance with these basic rules of infection control puts other people and the people you love and the people you know and the people you don't know at risk. Uh, you don't know who the next person that's going to put their hand on a countertop that you just contaminated with your secretions. Um, in you know you didn't do it purposely. You don't under, understand that you you're not doing it intentionally. But the unintentional 
uh, contamination of the environment can put uh, somebody else's lives at risk. And until we have an effective vaccine, we must practice these. And I emphasize it's not just the mask. Please understand, hand washing is essential. We must sanitize our hands. And my rule has been and will be and has always been, every time I walk through a doorway, I, I perform hand hygiene. Any doorway, every doorway that I walk through, through the hospital doorways here when I'm working or my office, when I walk in and out of a, a patient room, I wash my hands into the room, I wash my hands coming out of the room. Um, and anywhere we go, I wash when I walk through the doors of the grocery store. You know, I, I, I perform hand hygiene because that's an essential part of this. Uh, the mask is important and so is hand hygiene. Hand hygiene is very, very critical. And I don't see people doing that as much as we should be doing it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, now, I, I've had one person tell me that the asymptomatic, because uh, that's the one thing that, that worries me, is that you, we could be carrying, I could be carrying pathogens or carrying, um, uh, I could be asymptomatic, and therefore I could be at church, and I could cough on my hand, I could touch a hymnal, and then uh, a wonderful 85-year-old, you know, woman, dedicated follower of the church can come in after me, grab that hymnal, and that um, that could cause, you know, that, that, that could cause her to get sick, right? Um, and this, this has, I, I, but I've heard someone say that the asymptomatic thing is not true yet. There's been false negatives and there's been false positives with that. Um, can you clear that up for us just from a scientific standpoint of uh, the, the truth of what it means to be an asymptomatic carrier of COVID-19? Yes, the patients, we know that there's, uh, there's an onset uh, of this infection and symptoms come on somewhere between three and 14 days. So uh, you could be carrying this virus without symptoms for two weeks. Uh, so you could be interacting in the environment and have positive, have a positive culture uh, if we, and you could spread the virus. So asymptomatic shedding is a reality uh, first of all. Second of all, the testing is very accurate um, if you get in a proper, properly collected sample. Uh, this virus loves the, uh, your nose and it loves your sinus tracts and your upper respiratory system. Uh, and so the, the testing is a little bit unpleasant because they have to put a swab up in, uh, fairly deeply into your nasal canal to, to get a good sample. There are faults negatives and mostly attributed to um, difficulty in obtaining a proper specimen. Uh, if the virus is there, it's very easy to pick up with the test. The test is very accurate for tests for the presence of the virus particle. That's a very accurate test. The antibody testing has not been proven to be reliable yet. Even though people are getting the antibody test, they're quite meaningless at this point. The FDA just came out a few days ago and they have not approved any of the antibody tests yet because the evidence isn't that they're specific enough to really know that this antibody we're testing for is to the actual COVID-19 uh, virus. So if, can someone be, can someone be a carrier and just not be sick period and sort of just carry it with them past 14 days? Yes, there's a lot of patients and we don't know yet. Yeah, one of the things we don't know there's a lot of things we don't know about this virus, but one of the things we really don't have a good handle on yet, and we're going to need time to understand this, is 
the incidence of asymptomatic infection in the population. Um, there's lots of people that will get a uh, mild uh, flu-like illness, uh, influenza-like illness, and they'll just kind of brush it off and not even know, a little sniffle or maybe a, a mild dry cough, but no fever. And uh, they'll go through the infectious process and, the, and they'll recover without any serious symptoms. Uh, we don't understand how prevalent this virus is in the general population. You know, we, we, we oftentimes look at um, testing as being the gold standard, and actually it's not the gold standard uh, for, the, for me measuring prevalence of this disease. Um, symptoms are much more important. And uh, mass testing is very, very difficult and expensive um, in terms of very large populations like the United States, you know, 310 million people. Uh, that's something that it's not technically feasible to do that. When will you get to a place where you feel, you feel we're like we're in a very good place? We're in a, we've really come a far place. I think we're good. I think we can start meeting in much larger groups now. We can start to really relax. When for you is that time? What, what are some benchmarks? Well, I'm fairly conservative about this, and I know the, the listeners are not going to like this, but I don't think we're going to be comfortable until we have an effective vaccine and that we've been able to vaccinate at least 60% of our population because that's where the herd immunity will kick in and make this virus's propagation start to decrease dramatically. Um, you know, viruses have various levels of infectivity. In other words, what's the probability of you getting an infection? If I'm an asymptomatic carrier and I go into a population of people, uh, what is the likelihood of me infecting and how many people would I normally infect if I walked out into a susceptible population? With this virus, that, that number is about 2.4. So I would infect 2.4 people, and 2.4 people would infect 2.4 more people. And so it would be a geometric uh, expansion of the infection. That's what this whole uh, pandemic curve that we talk about uh, really is about. Um, that makes it important to understand that if the virus is infective at that level, We've got to see 60 to 65% of our population immune to this virus before it will stop propagating. Um, it depends on the likelihood of infectivity. If uh, something like measles, which is extremely uh, uh, contagious, uh, you know, the, I said 2.4 for coronavirus, measles is like 12. So if I go into a room, 12 people are going to get measles if, I, if I'm carrying measles. So it's a very, very, we'd have to get up to 90% of the population, which is why we vaccinate everybody for measles, because we've got to keep the herd immunity levels at least at 90 or plus 99% to protect the population from a, from a measles outbreak. So for this virus, it's 60%. And until we have an effective vaccine, I am still worried that we're, we're, we have to practice hand washing, and mask wearing and distancing, and we have to restrict and be careful with our susceptible uh, citizens, our, our, our vulnerable citizens, those most vulnerable to this virus, we have to protect them. So just, just Dr. Dayton is speaking strictly from a scientific place. He's, he's, he has no strings attached. He's not trying to support any kind of platform. That's what I really love about having you on here. You're just going with the facts that you know as a medical professional. Um, from, from the history of uh, looking back at other vaccines, if we look at how long it's taken for some of the most recent vaccines, 
how long might it take for us <laughs> to find the vaccine for COVID-19? I wish I knew that question. If we knew that question, a lot of people would be very happy. I will caution our listeners to understand that, that we can look back at some of the uh, less successful efforts at vaccination, one of them being Ebola. Ebola, it took five years to develop an effective and safe vaccine for Ebola. So, and I'm not saying it's going to take five years, but we have to have a very, very sober look at the prospects of vaccine development. Vaccine development is a very complicated and uh, uh, risky business. And uh, not only do we have to be sure that the vaccine is specific for this virus, but that it's safe, it's effective, and how long that effect takes place. So, you know, some of the estimates that we're going to have a, an effective vaccine in September, October, November, I think are a little short-sighted. I, I would love to be wrong. I, I hope I am wrong. But my uh, medical experience in this area is that uh, I'd be very, very cautiously uh, pessimistic that we'd have anything before uh, the spring of next year uh, and hopefully sooner. But I think we, we go through the winter months uh, uh, protecting ourselves with these infection control uh, methodologies before we start depending on uh, mass vaccination to solve this problem. Right. You know, this topic of, of community and the love of neighbor just is a, is a constant theme on this radio show. The rabbi and I go back and forth with and uh, connect on. And sometimes uh, our, our American culture can, can be, you know, it's, it's more of an individualistic culture, right? It's a rugged individualism. And how uh, the communal culture of really taking care of the community and this great concern that you have for the other uh, is, is, is key to our, our walk of faith, right? As Jews, as Christians, as, uh, as Muslims. So now is, is our faith has to, has to bubble up and being like, okay, I know I'm healthy. I know I'm good. And I might believe that maybe all this is a hoax, right? Someone might believe that. But as a person of faith, um, I have to be concerned about your health. And if me wearing a mask ensures that for sure I'm doing my part and washing my hands and passing six feet of distance to make sure that you are safe, to me, that just means to align with my faith. And if I go against that, I'm making it more about myself and my own needs and my own wants and my own desires. Um, and so it'll be a good good test and a good challenge for us all to grow spiritually that way. Of it. I, think, I think, I think Father Anderson, I mean, I, I think that that's the role of, as, as, as for us as clergy is to be able to take individuals from that personal journey of personal ownership and responsibility and put it towards community, right? You may not feel sick. You may not feel this, that, and the other, but remember that your role is also thou shall not infect others or others infect me in some way of trying to put forth those messages of communality and being together as community and trying to remove try and go away from that 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 individualistic understanding that it's always about me I mean, you go back to the very famous you know uh, rabbi hillel phrase that says if i am only for myself what am i if i'm not for myself who, you know what am if not now when Right. So it, it, it's kind of moving. You know, I feel like as, as, as a rabbi, my responsibility and obligation is to inform community about community and about how we can kind of, uh, you know, be together um, uh, uh, more of a universalistic perspective. Right. Yeah. There's 
there's a there's a part where the early Christian communities are just figuring out what they are agreeing on, where you have one who's uh, more of a Gentile based and you have one where they are basically, and this is going to drive you nuts, Jews for Jesus, right? They, they're, Jew, they're, they're Jews who, who, who are still practicing a lot of the Judaic law, uh, but mm -hmm. they've also accepted Jesus Christ as, as the Messiah. And, and Paul writes a letter to them, the Apostle Paul, where, where they're having this struggle about eating meat and, and, and meat that has been sacrificed to, to idols. And so more of the Gentile-based uh, Christians or followers of Jesus are saying, we could eat that meat. It's not a big deal. Right, we're we're not worried that it's been sacrificed to Dionysus, or whatever. Because to us, Jesus is the guy. It's no big deal. I'm going to eat the meat. But then there's other followers of Jesus who are practicing the, the Judaic law, saying that absolutely not. There's no way that can happen. The law says you can't do that. We won't eat the meat. And so there's this tension where Paul has to come in and talk to more of the kind of the nouveau riche Christians and just say, listen, if you have people in your flock in your fold. Who are struggling with this idea of eating the meat, even though as Christians we believe that Jesus is like the fulfillment of the law, and we know that that law doesn't really pertain to us. It doesn't matter. You don't want to be the downfall of another of another follower of Jesus, like of another person of faith. So just don't eat the meat. Stop it. Don't eat the meat. It's so it's it, to me that that Paul's message uh, to the Romans for for me is, is it resonates big time by saying, listen. If I don't want to wear a mask and you, well, let's say you want to tell people like, hey, I think you're getting too carried away with this. Or, or if I go to Publix and there's a person in the aisle who's going to get very anxious if I don't have a mask on because they're nervous about their immune system. Well, I better just put on a mask because why would I want to cause as a person of faith, that person, any kind of anxiety, just put on the mask. That's all you got to do. But also, I think, I think, I think, I think from, 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 from an emotional perspective as well, I think we see this all the time. Look, tempers are... Are, 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 are flailing. I mean, they're on the rise. I mean, I saw it the other day. I went to Publix. I brought my kids. We had masks, right? I get super anxious. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know why. Um, you know, and, and, and I see this interaction between somebody with a mask and somebody that's not, and visceral anger and yelling. And a part of me says, this is going to spill into a fight, and this is going to be violent, all because one opinion versus the other. And I think we've lost sight of the bigger picture. If I'm not wearing a mask... And somebody wants to antagonize me. At the end of the day, sure, my temper's going to get up, and what's going to happen is it's going to spill out into a fight with with myself forgetting the message and the understanding. I'm here to protect myself and to protect others from the illness that may or may not be 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 within me or 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 within my control. And I think I think as Dr. Dayton suggested and 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 had said, it's it's being socially cautious of 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 our society. Wear a mask when you can, if not all the time. Practice proper hand washing. I mean, we see this today. You know, American culture, uh, you know, in the last nine weeks has kind of been like, oh, wash your hands for 30 seconds. It's like a novelty. It's a new idea. Well, it's been around forever. <laughs> what do you mean wash our hands when we go to the bathroom? Wash our hands when we go to a different environment? It's not new. Yeah, right, 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 right. Dr. Dayton, this has been extremely helpful just to hear, because, you know, there's people, we, we can throw back opinions all, all day, and the rabbi and I can do that, and we can speak from a theological standpoint, but to have you on here, not only as a person of faith, but a person who's just a de dedicated and compassionate and committed uh, doctor uh, about safety and quality, to come on here and tell us, tell us the real, tell us the facts, uh, we're grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thank you. 
my brother you, for being you are here. very welcome please uh, ask your your uh, listeners to wear a cloth mask wash your hands and uh i'll i'll, I'll admit one of my pet peeves when you're in the uh, grocery store don't pick up merchandise look at it and put it back on the shelf pick it up and buy it because <laughs> <laughs> you're leaving behind you're leaving a trail. You're leaving behind exactly you're contaminating the environment boy am i guilty of that especially <laughs> produce with produce right very hard it's but uh, I noticed it in the pickle jar row. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank uh, you very much for having me. Yeah, God bless you. And, and, and I really do appreciate and thank you for all the service and um, how you, you just serve your community with, with so much heart and compassion. Um, and um, we're grateful. So thank you. Thank you for fighting a good thank fight. You. Absolutely. All right, God bless you both. Thank God you. bless you. So there you go. So Rabbi, you know, once again, it's just another practice on selflessness and the love of, of neighbor. And, and to me, that's what it comes back to. I love how Dr. Dayton said he wears his mask as a, as a matter of civic pride because mm -hmm. he cares about his fellow citizens. And uh, this is, even if you don't believe any of this stuff, do, do it out of love for a citizen. So it, it will be, Absolutely. I, I hope we can do it. I, I hope we can commit to it, but we've got to be models of it. And we got to start either here or just on campus at St. Mary's. We're going to, as a staff, how do we set the guidelines and follow it and be um, good stewards of this? So mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you guys still in the, we, we are, well, I would love to talk about when you guys are gonna reopen, but I'm sure we can find that all on your Facebook page because we are nearing the end of this fantastic show. Rabbi, any final thoughts here? Um, I mean, I think just as Dr. Dayton suggested and everything that we've been talking about, just, just you know, be smart, you know, be safe. Remember that the world does not revolve around me. Or, or you, that the world revolves around all of us together. And the more that we can really put that forward, understand that I may have the ability to affect somebody else. Somebody else may have the ability to affect me. Let's let's work together. Let's be safe. Let's proper practice proper, you know, hand hygiene, wearing masks. You know, this this shall pass at some point, And I think we can reflect on it later. But right now, we're, as we're in the thick of it, let, let's just be mindful that uh, the world is not only and solely about me, that there is many in our world to whom we care about, and that is our focus. Well, God bless you. We'll see you next Friday here on A Priest and a Rabbi. Catch us on the podcast.